Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Your Bibles, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8? Hebrews chapter 8. And so again, we're going through part four. And so as you turn in there, I just want to recap the last few weeks that we've gone through. And so we got to see how Jesus is the better communicator. Then we got to see how Jesus is the better deliverer. And then we got to see that Jesus is the better priest. And you could look at these things and say, hey, what does that have to do with anything? Why do I need a priest? Isn't that just for Catholics? Well, as a matter of fact, the priest, he, he would stand and intercede. And so he would be in the middle between people and God. And so now Jesus, when he came down to this earth and he, through his sacrifice and through his blood and through his uh, paying homage for us, now he intercedes. He's that middle. We don't need to go to a person to talk to God. We don't need to go to a person to have our sins forgiven. We go straight to Jesus. And that's why we have a priest. And so now we're continuing through part four as it reads, starting at verse one. Uh, we're going to be going through chapters 8 through 10, but I promise I'm not going to read all three chapters. But we are going to read chapter 8 in this moment. So it reads like this. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on this mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior, somebody say superior, as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises, someone say better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant. Someone say new covenant. With the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the, it will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. It's beautiful. What a beautiful passage. Out of these few verses and out of the next three chapters, I just wanna preach a message I've titled, Jesus, the better sacrifice. Jesus, the better sacrifice. So if you're taking notes, you could go ahead and write down Jesus, the better sacrifice. Let's go to pray. Believe that God is going to, God is here and he wants to do something in this room. So Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you're so good. 
Lord, we thank you that you're so gracious. Lord, we thank you that you are with us, Lord. We thank you that we don't have to do all of these things to get to you. We're thankful that we don't have to try to be somebody that we're not, but Jesus, you absolutely love us, God. You paid the ultimate price for us, and now we can just talk to you. We can love you, Jesus, and thank you that there's intimacy with you because of all that you've done for us, God. I'm praying that you may speak to us, that you may minister to us. Holy Spirit, do what only you could do. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says, come on, everybody says, come on, if you love Jesus, can you make some noise one time? So over the last few years, I've had a series of car problems. Anybody know what car problems are like? They're the worst. They're the absolute worst. It started, we got my wife a car during the pandemic. We got her a 2007 Volkswagen GTI, and it was a super cute car. It was super nice, but that car was demonic. That car was the worst. There was always something wrong with this car. Always, always. There was always something that we had to fix. There was always something wrong. It started off with the AC. And how many of you guys know in Miami, you cannot survive without some AC. It's impossible. It's impossible. But then we fix the AC after a lot of money. And then we go ahead and then a whole bunch of other problems just start to come out. And we're like, oh my gosh, these problems don't stop. Before we got rid of the car, what started happening was every single day, and I'm not exaggerating, every single day, the car battery would die. Every single day. But it wasn't a battery issue. It wasn't a starter issue. It wasn't anything that any mechanic could figure out. So we were like, what are we going to do? And so in the meanwhile, Andrea, my, Andrea's my wife, Andrea's dad, she would go, he would lend us this portable battery pack that you could go ahead and start up your car. Anybody know what I'm talking about? One of those. And so every single day, my wife would get out of work and her car would be dead and she would have to start up her car with this jack, this portable jack every single day. It, it, was, a, it was a temporary fix in the moment. And then now, we're like, hey, I'm tired of you having these car problems. I'm tired of you doing all these things. So we're going to go ahead and lease you a new car. We're going to go ahead and lease you a new car. We're going to get you something. So that way we don't have to deal with any more car problems. Two days after she gets a flat tire. I'm like, babe, you had this car for two days. <laughs> two days. How? How do you get a flat tire in two days? But now I'm the one that has the car problems. And so my, I have an infinity in that thing. Is the power steering's messed up. And so uh, all the time, it would be hard to turn my wheel. But I found out that if I add power steering fluid every single week, it works. And it's a temporary fix that's been able to work. It's a temporary fix that's been able to get me to go by until I save up the money to be able to pay for this. See, with my wife's old car and with my car now, there's temporary fixes that work for a moment. But until the problem is taken care of, the problem will continue to come back time and time and time again. I started to think about how easy it is to resort to the temporary. How easy it is to abandon the greater for the lesser. Oh, it's easy to lie a bit or cheat a bit on our taxes to get some extra money rather than just being truthful and not worrying, having to worry about the consequences. It's easy to go through something and to go to something that will make you feel better like drinking or smoking or going to a relationship that you're not supposed to go to. So that way you can just get a temporary high or you could get a temporary enjoyment. Or you could get a temporary fulfillment. It's easy to bottle up your emotions rather than to get into some godly community and to get maybe around a therapist and to actually talk about what is going on in your life. It's easier to go through the temporary. And how much we love to go through the temporary. 
We, we resort to things that if only we got to the root issue, if only we got to the root problem, if only we got to the root of it, the problem might be fixed. The problem might be solved and we wouldn't have to do it anymore. Well, this Jewish Christian audience that the writer of Hebrews is writing to is doing just that. See, we know that Jesus is absolutely enough, but to them, he wasn't. Jesus wasn't enough, and so they were had to go to all, they wanted to go back to all of these old things. They, they wanted to go back to the old covenant. So in the old covenant, they had to follow this law. They had to do all of these traditions. They had to go to all of these rituals. They had to go to all of these things that were temporary, and yet those things were never going to solve the issue that was before them. See, God has a plan for humanity, and that plan is to make us righteous. To be righteous, it means to be made right with God. He wants to make us free of sin. And the old covenant, which is the covenant that God made with Israel that said, hey, if you follow these laws, I will be with you. If you follow these laws, I will bless you. They, want, they were saying, hey, I, I want to go back to those things. I, I want to go back to those old things. I, I want to go back to those things. But in reality, those things were never going to do the job. As a matter of fact, they're not just something that didn't work. They were something that never worked even before. See, there's a prophet named Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah, the people would have known, the people that, is, that they're listening to, they were a Jewish Christian audience, and they knew all the Old Testament well. They knew it. They studied it. And so the prophet Jeremiah, they were familiar with his words. And so the writer of Hebrews, he starts to quote the prophet Jeremiah. And so as soon as he would have started to quote the prophet Jeremiah, they would have been like, I know what he's talking about. I, I, I know those words. I, I've heard those words. Those words are familiar. See, when God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, that was about 600 years before the book of Hebrews was written. Actually, it was over 600 years before the book of Hebrews was written, but they knew it. But they knew it well. And what was happening in that time of Jeremiah was that there were these people in Israel that the nation was completely divided. They were about to be exiled. They were going ahead and they were worshiping all of these other gods and all of these false gods. And the place was just a mess. But there were some people that believed that God could change it around. That there were some people that were obsessed and believed that God, he, he could turn everything around. He, he can change everything. And I think this could encourage us that no matter what our life looks like, no matter what our family looks like, no matter how far your family members might be, how, more, how far it might seem like your kids are, no matter how much you've been praying for something, if you believe, I believe that if we have some faith that God can do it, not only can he, but will he, because he's a good God. But we need some people that are desperate, that God can move, that God can do the impossible. We need some work. Come on. Where are my desperate people in the room that believe that God can do the impossible? He can still heal. He can still minister. He can still bring a divorce back together. He can still do what only he can do. There were some people that were desperate that God could turn things around, that God could change things. And not only did God hear them, but God did it. And we see this, and I'm going to quote from the, from the prophet Jeremiah, but this is also what the writer of Hebrews is quoting as he says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews quotes. But in other words, what he's saying is, if it didn't work back then, what makes you think it's going to work now? So he's bringing a new thing. 
Jeremiah wrote about a new covenant. This was future to Jeremiah, but this is what the people of Hebrews were living in, and this is what you and I get to live in today. The writer of Hebrews, he spent his whole letter talking about how Jesus is better. He spent his whole letter saying, hey, whatever you've been going to, Jesus is enough. He's all that you need. You keep going to all of these things, but Jesus is what you're looking for. He's the one that's really going to give you peace. He's the one that's really going to give you joy. He's the one that's really going to give you love. Stop seeking love in all these places. Stop seeking peace in all these places. Stop seeking relationship, love. But no, the only love that you need is going to come from Jesus himself. And this is what he's telling the people. And so he's continuing on this idea of how Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. And last week we got to learn about Jesus is the better priest. And he continues on this theme as we read in verses one through three. He says, now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest. I'm trying to tell you, we have a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, which we'll be talking about in just a moment. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it was necessary for this one to also have something to sacrifice. What he's saying is Jesus Oh, he's the high priest. He's the better priest. He's the greatest priest. But Jesus also has to have something to sacrifice. See, sacrifices, they were significant in this time because what would happen was there was this day called the Day of Atonement. Someone say Day of Atonement. On this day of atonement, they would go ahead and bring this animal and everybody would have to lay their hands on this animal and it was a representation that all of their sins would go onto this animal. And then they would go into this place called the tabernacle, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and it will be sacrificed to God. And all the sins of the people would go ahead and get cleansed. Now what's saying here is, okay, the priest had to bring a sacrifice, but here's the problem. Jesus wasn't just the priest. But Jesus, he wasn't just going to bring a bull. He wasn't just going to bring a lamb. Jesus, no, he was the very lamb of God. He was the very sacrifice. So he was the priest that was bringing the sacrifice, but he was also the sacrifice. And so we see that there was a need for a sacrifice. And Jesus, he's not just a sacrifice, but he's the better sacrifice. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's the eternal sacrifice. He was the one that wasn't temporary, but Jesus was enough. Jesus is enough. I want to ask you, is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough in your life? Is Jesus enough to give you true joy? Is Jesus enough to give you true peace? Is Jesus enough to really forgive you of your sins? Is Jesus enough to really motivate you? Is Jesus enough to really lift you up? Is Jesus enough in your life? Is Jesus enough? Jesus, he was the better sacrifice. And I really believe that as Jesus is the better sacrifice, it's going to bless our life. Jesus being the better sacrifice, it can transform our life. Jesus being this better sacrifice can change our life forever. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to catch a few things of what Jesus being the better sacrifice does in our life. And so Jesus being the better sacrifice established the new covenant. Jesus being the, the Jesus sacrifice established the new covenant. So let's start off with what exactly is a covenant? Well, what's a covenant? Well, a covenant is kind of, it's basically a promise. A covenant, think about, where are my married people in the room? All the married people in the room? Okay. So when you got married, you made a covenant with your spouse, for better or for worse. And so we symbolize and we give these rings to each other as a symbol of this covenant. 
And so you made a covenant, you made a promise, you made vows that I'm going to stick with my spouse. I'm going to be by my spouse's side. Well, the covenant, it was a promise. And so God, he made a covenant with the Israelites and said, hey, if you follow my laws, I will bless you. I will protect you. I will be with you throughout all the ways. But here's what happened. The people of Israel, they started to disobey those laws. They started to go ahead and they started to worship anything and everything. And they started to create all these other gods. And so the Bible actually talks about how God is like the groom and we and the church, the Israel was like the bride. And it's the covenant that was formed. And so we see that they actually started to cheat with other gods. They, they cheated on the spouse with other gods. And God, he saw this and he was disappointed and he was hurt, but he didn't stop there. He says, I will run after my people again. I will chase after my people again. It doesn't matter how far they are. It doesn't matter where they've been. It doesn't matter how far, how far you might seem like you are. You might seem like you are a thousand miles away, but I will run after you. I will chase after you. And he's still doing the same in our life today. And he establishes something new. And he says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to run back after my people with a new covenant with a new grace, with a new promise. And we read this now in Hebrews chapter eight, verses six and seven and 13. It says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. He, he's right in the middle. There were some qualifications that he would have to be that perfect mediator, that perfect middle. One of the qualifications is he would have to be perfect without blemish. Check, he crossed it. He would have to be the highest priest, the higher priest, higher than any other priest. He crossed it. He is that mediator between the old covenant and the new covenant. And we continue to read it superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises, someone say better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. There was an old, and there was a new. Anybody in here play video games? A couple of you guys, a couple of you guys. Okay, where are my parents that have had to buy game systems for their kids? That's more like it. Okay, so if you, if you guys know, whenever, every few years, every maybe four, five, six, seven years, a new game system will come out. Now, here's the thing. I remember when I got my PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3 games no longer worked on this PlayStation 4. Why? Because the PlayStation 3 games are old. That's it. They're obsolete. They're, they're from the previous technology. That They're not used anymore. And so we get suckered into buying over and over again every single time there's a new system. But what's happening is that once something is new, there's no need for the old anymore because that, that's old, that's obsolete, that's not used anymore. And he, what he's saying is that old covenant is just like that old system where it's done, it's gone, you don't use it anymore. There's something new now. There's something better now. There's something with better graphics now. There's something that you can use more throughout this time. The old is gone. The old is done. The old is obsolete. The new covenant is better. The new promise is is better and all you can do is you can either accept it or you can reject it you can accept this promise or you can reject the promise and in the new covenant things change 
where back then it was all about what people could do. It was all about the sacrifices that they could do. It was all about that. In order for me to be right with God, it's based on my actions. It's based on my merits. This new covenant says, hey, God is like, hey, I am going to take control now. I'm taking initiative. It's no longer based on what you could do. It's no longer based on your actions. It's no longer based on your thriving. It's all based on the finished work of Jesus. As Jesus, he paid the ultimate price. As Jesus, he did it all. As Jesus, he paid it all. And that's where Romans chapter 5, verse 8 comes alive in our life. As it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. The writer of Hebrews is telling the audience that the better sacrifice is in Jesus. He's the one that brings the new promise. He's the one that brings the new covenant. And he's saying, you... Yeah, you, you don't have to keep trying to earn God's love. Maybe you're carrying guilt. Maybe you're carrying shame because maybe you had an affair. Maybe you cheated. Maybe you did something wrong. Maybe you did something that you wish you never did. Saying it's not based on your merit anymore. It's not based on your sacrifices anymore. It's going to be completely based on what Jesus did because his promise is better because his promise is eternal. His promise is continual and it never ends. And all we got to do is we just got to have our faith and our trust that Jesus is it. And I want to let you know that you can trust him because Jesus' sacrifice creates intimacy with humanity. Jesus' sacrifice creates intimacy with humanity. If we go back to the book of Exodus, there's a time where the Ten Commandments are about to be given to the Israelites. Anybody know about the Ten Commandments in that moment? And so there's, there's this moment on this mountain called Mount Sinai where there's this big smoke that's starting to take over and it says that God is descending like fire and there's lightning and there's thunder and he's about to give the Ten Commandments to the people, but the people, they see this and they see this lightning and they see this thunder and they see this smoke and they see this fire and they say, hey, that's too much for us. Like that's too great, That's, that's too powerful. Hey Moses, can you just tell us what God says? We don't, we don't want to be around that where we're scared, where we can't do this anymore. This is, this is just too much. And the Israelites, they created this space where they separated themselves from God. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm coming to bring something better. Like you would, you would think that if somebody saw this, if somebody saw the smoke, if someone saw the fire, if someone saw the lightning and the thunder, how could you not be like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this God wherever because he's powerful. He could probably strike me down in a moment. But it says 40 days after, they were worshiping a golden calf. 40 days after, despite what they saw, because they created separation amongst himself. But Jesus, oh, he's bringing He's, separ- he's closing that separation again. He, he's closing that gap because Jesus is sacrificed. Oh, there's benefits to this as we read. There, there's more benefits than you know. There's more benefits than you could think as we read in verses 10 and 11 in chapter 8. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. All of you will know me from the least to the greatest. See, at the time, the old covenant was for the people of Israel, but what he's saying is this covenant 
It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what you did a month ago. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much power you have. It doesn't matter how many followers on Instagram you got. All that matters is that Jesus paid the price. And because of that, from the least to the greatest, we can have intimacy with God. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. It's not just for Israel anymore. This isn't just a law anymore that we see from afar. But now this is a person that we go to. Now we all live in Miami and we know that Miami drivers are the greatest drivers on the planet. And so we know that if we see a speed limit sign that says about 55, it usually means go at least about 70 until we see a state trooper. Shout out to all my state troopers. I know there's some in here. Um, until we see a state trooper, then that speed limit 55 signs means go 54 because I'm not trying to get a ticket in this room. Well now, what Jesus is doing here through his sacrifice is it's no longer just a law that you see from afar, but now it's a person that you cling to. It, it, the speed limit, it was just a sign that you saw, but when there's a law authority that's there, it changes everything. Now this law authority in Jesus is not coming to change your conduct, but now he's coming to change your character because character is going to triumph conduct every single time. And Jesus is saying, what you don't need is some transformation for your behavior. What you need is transformation from the inside out. And it's Jesus that he goes and he transforms you from the inside out. And the law is no longer something that I see. But no, now the law is written in my heart. And now I follow the law because I don't want to hurt God anymore. I don't want to sin against God anymore because I know the price that he paid. I know the wages of sin that were there. There was a price. The Bible says that the price of sin is death and that's what we deserved. And I know Jesus paid that price. And because he paid that price, I'm not just following the law because it's something that I have to do. It's something that God transforms in me now. Law is not just something that I see. The law becomes a part of me. It transforms me. It's something that transforms me from the inside out. It's a person. It's not just a law anymore. Not only does it create intimacy, but Jesus' sacrifice gives us access to God. Jesus' sacrifice gives us access to God. See, we start off now chapter nine, and in chapter nine, it starts to talk about something called the tabernacle. Anybody ever heard of a tabernacle? A few of you guys. Some of you are like, what the heck is a tabernacle? A tabernacle was pretty much this tent that when the people left, uh, when they were in Egypt and they got freed from Egypt and they now they're wandering in this desert, it was kind of like these mobile church services that would happen in a tent. And so they were very specific. God was very specific on how he wanted this tent to be made. He was very specific. As a matter of fact, there are more chapters that are written about the tabernacle than there are about any single subject in all of scripture. So the tabernacle, it was important. It was detailed. It was the place where people would meet with God in this desert. It was the first mobile church. It was, it was where people would meet with God. And so in, in chapter nine, the writer of Hebrews, he starts to talk about this tabernacle. And in verses one through five, he starts to list all of the things that are in it. And I encourage you that if you have some time this week, go through these things because there's, there's a lot of symbolism and it's beautiful. But I just wanna go through some of the things that were here. And so we see that there's two areas in this tabernacle. There's this one on the left side that's smaller and it has something called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was believed where the presence of God was. 
Then you had something called the table of shrewbread. And really this table was something where there was just bread in this room. Then there was the altar of incense. And on this altar of incense, they would sacrifice this incense to God. And it represented the prayer of the people. The bread, it represented the fellowship of God with the people. There was actually 12 pieces of bread, which described the 12 tribes of Judah. Then there was also a lampstand. This was the only light, this was the only illumination that would take place in this room. Okay, you could look at this and be like, what's the, what's the significance of this? I got, this makes, that's cool and all. What's the purpose of this? Well, some people say that Jesus, he actually fulfilled this. If you look at this, there's a table of shoe bread. That means there's bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We can see that there's one door and we know that Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can see that there's a lampstand and this was the only light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So we can see that there, there's significance in this, but I really believe that there's a little bit more. And I think the answer is found in verse seven. In verse seven, it says this, but only the high priest entered the inner room. So it was that room that was on the left where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that was only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. Okay, cool. What does that mean? It really means this. This room, this tabernacle, this meeting with God, it was so exclusive, so exclusive. One person, once a year. One person, once a year. That's it. One person, once a year, got to be in the presence of God. One person. This one person would go into this room twice. The first one, they would come with the bull, the blood of a bull, and they would pay for their own sins because no matter how priestly, no matter how good, they were still imperfect. The priest still messed up. So they had to pay for their own sins. But then there was a second sacrifice, which was the one where all the people placed their hands on the animal and that, that sacrificial animal paid for the price for everybody else's sin. One man, once a year. One man, once a year. Now this once a year deal wasn't even so that way you can have a relationship with God. It wasn't even so you can have fellowship with God. It wasn't even so you could speak to God. It wasn't even so you could say, hey, God, how you doing? No, it was a mission. It was almost a death mission, like a survival mission that you were on. The priests, they had this mechanism set up that God set up where they, they would have these robes with bells on them. And the reason for that was because they needed to know that as they're moving, the bells are still going. The moment that they know that the bells stop ringing, it's possible that that high priest was killed, gone. Why? Because God is holy. God, God is holy. And then if the high priest died, they had a rope attached to his foot so that way they could pull him out. And then they would have to wait another year for one more person to go into that room. One man, once a year. But now he's changing everything. Jesus is saying, hey, that was one man once a year, but I need, to, I need you to know what one man can do. And so we see in verses, in chapter nine, in verse nine it says, this is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices were offered were not even able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. In other words, he's saying all that stuff all those rituals, all those things that were inside there, everything, you got the bread, you got the incense, you got everything, and it still wasn't enough. Still wasn't enough. 
one man once a year, all these traditions, it's never gonna be enough. I think it challenges our own life as we look at our life and say, hey, am I coming to church because it's a ritual? Am I coming to church because I feel like I have to? Oh, I have to go to my connect group. Oh, I have to read my Bible today. The presence of God is what we need to be ushered into. All those things, they can symbolize great things. They can point to Jesus, but they never ushered people into the presence of God. Are we doing things out of a ritual, out of a ceremony, or because it is the perfect will of God and it ushers us into his presence? His sacrifice, it was, it was perfect. His sacrifice was something that brought connection in a separated world. It allowed us to be intimate with God. It was sacrifice, it wasn't ordinary. As a matter of fact, Jesus' sacrifice was greater than any sacrifice made prior. We read in, in, in chapter nine, verse 11. It says, but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not a part of creation. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, that tabernacle, here's what it does do. As we read in chapter eight, it's a shadow of heaven. The tabernacle that you guys built, it's a shadow of what heaven is like. So it's, it, it's not a good model. It's, it's not a good shadow, but it shadows what heaven is like but you guys are still trying to go to temples. You guys are still trying to do all these things, but your temples are built by hands made by men. He's saying the tabernacle that Jesus was sacrificed through was made by God's hand completely because this sacrifice was special. It wasn't ordinary, it was necessary. As we see that bloodshed was necessary. In chapter nine, verse 22, it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's, that's a powerful statement. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In other words, Jesus's blood was the rescue that we needed. Jesus's blood, it represented a life as life was poured out. Now it wasn't the physical blood that saved anybody. See, I imagine when the Romans were killing Jesus, when they were beating Jesus, when they were stabbing Jesus, I'm sure some blood got on them. But it wasn't that physical blood that saved them. It was Jesus' life that was laid down because there was blood necessary for forgiveness. His blood was different than anyone else's. His blood was perfect. His blood was voluntary. His blood was rational. And his blood was motivated by love. His blood was perfect in the sense that there was no animal ever perfect enough that could have been sacrificed for all of sins. His blood was voluntary as no animal is ever like, oh, come and sacrifice me. But Jesus says, I will be sacrificed for you. Jesus' love sacrifice was rational as Jesus did it and he knew what he was doing. And it was motivated by love as he did it out of love for you and he did it out of love for me. It's what made the blood so special. It's what made the blood amazing because there is a problem called sin. And sin, it takes a hold of our life. From the very beginning, sin was separating man from God. Right from the beginning when Adam and Eve, they fell in the garden and they sinned against God and they were disobedient to God. The first thing that they did was they got these fig leaves and they started to cover themselves because they were so full of shame and they were so full of guilt. And God, he took care of the sin and then he used an animal sacrifice to then cover them instead of those fig leaves. From the very beginning, sin was taken care of because of blood. Because blood 
was necessary for forgiveness. Are you feeling guilty in this room? Is shame taking over your life? Do you feel like you have to cover yourself from people? You have to cover yourself from God because you're not worthy, because you're not enough. You've messed up too many times. It was his blood that brought true forgiveness. It was his blood that changed everything. There was no forgiveness without perfect shedding of blood. But this shedding of blood, it wasn't continual. Jesus' sacrifice paid for our sin once and for all. It paid for our sin once and for all. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 that the, that the law, the law that they had to follow, it was a shadow. It, it, it was a shadow. It, it, it was a shadow, it says, of the good things that are coming. It was a shadow of the good things to come. The, the law had a price. You disobeyed the law. There was a price to that. See, the Bible talks about how the law, it actually should serve as a mirror though. Because we could tend to make the law this, this horrible thing, but in reality, the law is supposed to be a mirror in our life. I go into the mirror to see as I'm growing out my hair, my hair all over the place and messy. I'll go and I'll see if there's anything in my teeth. You know, we go to the, the mirror to fix something in our life. We go to the law to see that no matter how great we might seem, no matter how great we might feel, comparison to God, we will never compete. We will never be perfect and there's always something to fix. There's always something to work because we don't stand at God's holiness. We, we don't stand compared to a good, perfect God. We have a lot to fix. See, in this time, it said in chapter 10, 10 verse three, it says, but those sacrifices that were done annually, it was a reminder of sins. Can you imagine? if every single time that you messed up, once a year, there was like a highlight tape that was playing every single time that you messed up, every single time that you made a mistake, I would feel horrible. Because I know I've made mistakes, but I know I'm not my mistake. I know I've messed up, but I know I'm not my mess ups. We serve a good God who's transforming day after day. And in verse 11, it says, day after day, the priests stand and perform his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. Whoa. So every year, I'm not only just being reminded that I made a mistake, but it doesn't even work. These same sacrifices can never take away sins. There has to be a solution to this. There, there has to be a problem to this because if that were the case, then I would stay guilty and full of shame for the rest of my life. And I remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Oh, so the solution was that God loves me and he sent his son to pay the price that I deserved because the sacrifice was necessary. But this sacrifice didn't have to be offered year after year after year after year. It was paid once and for all. Once and for all. And now we read in verses 12 through 18. I'm gonna end with this. But when the priest had offered for, one, for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Someone say sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect 
forever those who are being made holy. It's a continual being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after the time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will remember them on, my, on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these sins have forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Because on that cross, Jesus said something powerful. He said, it is finished. He says it is finished. We looked at the tabernacle and there was something that we did not see in that tabernacle. There was no chair in that tabernacle, but yet it says Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why is this significant? Because the priest never stopped working. The priests never stopped moving. The priests never stopped sacrificing. The priests were always going back and forth, back and forth. But Jesus said, it is finished. And so I can sit down on my chair because the work is over. The work is done. Guess what, church? Guilt no longer has authority over you. Shame no longer has authority over you. Sins no longer have authority over you because it is finished. Once and for all, no longer are we doing temporary things. But there is a permanent solution in who Jesus is. Come on, somebody. If you love Jesus, if you're thankful, can you stand up to your feet? Can we thank Jesus? Can we make some noise for a good God? He's incredible. There's one more thing that the sacrifice of Jesus did. And we saw it in chapter 9, verse 15. But the sacrifice of Jesus brought us eternal life. Brought us eternal life. It says that it's in the will of God. A will, a will is a document that you, when someone is about to pass, they talk about what is going to be allocated, what is going to be given. And so in our world, we'll see that houses are given on this will. See, cars are given in the will. Things of value, Jesus said, in my will, you get eternal life. You can know where you are going beyond this earth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name. I'm gonna ask if everybody can close their eyes and bow their heads for just one moment. I wanna give somebody an opportunity in this room. I don't know how you walked in. I don't know what you came in carrying. I'm not sure the shame, the guilt that you've been holding over your life. But I do know that our country has a law that's called the law of double jeopardy. And that law says that nobody can be tried for the same crime more than once. When you are a follower of Jesus, you can no longer be tried for the same crime more than once. And Jesus paid the penalty for your life. Again, the Bible says that the price of sin, the price of our falling, the price of our shortcomings, it's death. And that's what we deserve. I'm not talking about just a, a physical death here. What we deserve is to go to hell. What we deserve, that's what we deserve because that is the price of sin. But Jesus, he saw that and said, hey, I'm going to pay that price for you. And you no longer have to carry guilt. You no longer have to carry shame. You no longer have to carry the burdens that you've been carrying. And all he's saying is just, hey, I just want you to be in relationship with me. I, I just want you to trust me. I, I just want you to put your faith in me. And if you're in this room, and maybe you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you're carrying guilt, you're carrying shame, you're carrying all this unforgiveness in your life. And you're saying, I can't keep going on anymore. I can't keep holding on to this anymore. I, I need to trust in the God that can set you free. I just wanna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna count to three. And on the count of three, if that's you and you're saying, I wanna, I wanna have a relationship with Jesus. I, I wanna be forgiven of my sin. I wanna have a brand new start. On the count of three, you can raise your hand. One, two, three. 
Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you over here. God bless you. God bless you in the back over here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you in the back over here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. God bless you over here. Amen. Hey, if you raise your hand, first of all, I just want to say congratulations on the greatest decision that you will ever make in your entire life. But I also want to let you know that beyond this earth, life may not get easy. But I want to let you know that you are no longer walking this earth by yourself. The Bible says that the way that we saw that the wage of sin is death, but we also know that once you follow Jesus, you have a personal helper with you that goes before you, goes behind you. You are no longer walking this earth by yourself. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. And we believe that the Bible says that uh, if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so we're just gonna lead you in this first prayer. From here on out, you have direct access to God. You can talk to him whenever, you can hang with him whenever, it's amazing. But if that's you, and everybody's gonna join in with you as we say this prayer. As we say, dear Jesus, I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Jesus, I'm sorry for everything that I've done. I just wanna follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I love you. I put my hope in you and I put my trust in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody says, oh come on, everybody says, oh come on, can we make some noise for everybody that just made a decision to follow Jesus in this room? Again, you just made the greatest decision and to congratulate you, we want to give you a free gift. Thank you, Morgan. And in this free gift, there's awesome stuff in it. You got a mug, you got a notebook, you got some free coffee in there. And honestly, we just want to celebrate with you because this is the greatest moment of your life. And so we have a tent right outside that's called the Connect Tent. And you can go out there and they're the nicest people and they'll give you this free gift and it's going to be amazing. And so thank you so much. One more time, can we make some noise for everybody that made a decision to follow Jesus? Also, today is Baptism Sunday, and I want to give anybody an opportunity to make this decision to get baptized and say, I'm going public with my faith. I'm not keeping this in my own anymore, but I'm going public with this. And so if that's you, the band is about to go into another song. We're going to worship during one more song. And if you can't, we have a table set up right outside where we'll get you a shirt, we'll get you a towel, we'll get you everything that you need, and I promise you it'll be an absolute amazing decision. But hey, let's go ahead and leave here celebrating one time. Let's leave here praying one more time that God's going to do something. So Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the price that you paid for us. Lord, we thank you that you took our sins away. God, thank you that we can love you, Jesus, and keep our eyes on you. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says amen.